Hola, my beautiful humans. This is Jasmine Castillo, and I bring stories and cases from the people of color community, bringing awareness of murdered and missing indigenous women, girls, two spirits, the LGBTQ community, Asian American, Pacific Islander, black indigenous people of color. These are their stories. So welcome to Hands Off, my podcast. Paula was a wonderful sister, a wonderful aunt, a dedicated nursing assistant. She loved life and she had everything she ever wanted. She was able to treat herself with vacations and traveling. Unfortunately, in September of 2019, Paula was prepared to take a connecting flight out of the Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport. Then, she walked out of the terminal and was never seen again. This is the story of Paula del Mundo. As we continue the month of June, we are celebrating Pride Month. The episodes in June are all pertaining to the LGBTQ to spirits. Paula del Mundo falls under transgender woman. And I would love to provide some education, just some tidbits that will be very informative as we continue on talking about the story of Paula. LGBTQ people, transgender, are disproportionately facing discrimination and violence in the United States. What does it mean to be a transgender? A transgender person or a person whose gender identity is different from the gender they were thought to be at birth. Trans is often used as a shorthand for transgender. So for example, when we're born, the doctor automatically identifies whether we are male or female based on our anatomy. But some people's gender identity, their innate knowledge of their who they are is different from what is initially expected when we are born. A transgender woman lives as a woman, but was thought to be male when she was born. A transgender man lives as a man, but was thought to be female when he was born. And what is the difference between sexual orientation and gender identity? Gender identity and sexual orientation are two different things. First, gender identity refers to our internal knowledge of our own gender. If our knowledge is that we are a man, or woman, or another gender. And sexual orientation has to do with whom we are attracted to. For example, a transgender man may be primarily attracted to other men, and might primarily attracted to women, or have any other sexual orientation. And so, why am I hitting on this subject? Why is transgender equality important? 
transgender people should be treated with the same dignity and respect as anyone else, to be able to live and to be respected according to their gender identity. A lot of transgender people are facing serious discrimination and the mistreatment at school, communities, work, families. There is 331 reported murders of trans and gender-diverse people in 2019, which is 10% of the murders are from Texas. I will also provide additional resources on frequently asked questions in regards to trans equality, as well as other additional information that I would love for you to educate and support and understand and embrace. Just for a forewarning, I will do the best that I can to replace all the incorrect information of misgendering and mislabeling and providing dead names for Paula. In some articles and resources, they identify her with her dead name or mislabeling her as a male gender. Paula del Mundo was the ninth in a family of 12 children and the youngest child. Paula opened up about her conflicted sexuality sometime in high school. After graduating from San Sebastian College, she confessed to her sister Yolanda her desire to undergo breast augmentation and then traveled to Japan to work as an entertainer. When I looked at the pictures of her in her transition, photos I believe were taken in Japan, she is absolutely beautiful. Yolanda stated, quote, I asked her, are you serious about that surgery because there is no turning back? And she replied to me, I am very sure of it. Ate. Unquote. When Leonor left Manila in 1980 after marrying a U.S. citizen, on the day that Leonor was bidding goodbye to everyone, Leonor realized that Paula was nowhere to be found. She found her in her room, alone and crying. Paula told her, quote, Atelin, please don't forget to sponsor me to come to America, end quote. She made a vow to petition all her siblings to join her in her new home. She made true to her promise. She made true to her promise, and Paula was the first to be petitioned. At the age of 48, Paula came to America and stayed with Lynn in California for seven years. Lynn always sponsored Paula's nursing assistant studies and was immediately hired as a caregiver because she finished at the top of her class. Paula's fluency in Nippongo was an asset she used in conversing with senior Japanese wives who hardly could speak English. Knowing that Paula had her passion with her family, her life, and her job, I'd like to share a little bit of background on Paula's family. The Del Mundo family is scattered across Manila, New York, California, Florida. And if you actually go onto Paula's Facebook page, you will see pictures of her visits with her sister, Susan, Leonor, Lilia, and Lolita. Paula was born June 6, 1960, in the Philippines. Paula moved to the United States when she was 48 years old. 
and later became a naturalized U.S. citizen during her first several years in the U.S. She lived with her sister in California, but at the time of her disappearance, she had been living in Tampa where she had two other sisters living in the area and was working as a nursing assistant. She was known to be a hardworking, caring, incredibly generous. For example, her sister Lolita also worked at the same veterans hospital, but yet on the opposite shift. So when Paula was done with her shift, she would bring in home-cooked meals for her sister. Not only was she a fantastic sister, she was a model employee. She loves her family and her job. She also loved traveling and often treated herself to vacations abroad. In fact, in 2018, Paula enjoyed two trips to the Dominican Republic. She was such a warm, caring person who loves traveling, spending time with her family, and being an avid traveler. She planned everything, how she was going to get there, how she was going to stay, what she was going to eat, even the outfits that she was going to wear. So coordinated. Way better than what I can do. And this is what boggles my mind as well as the family, is that with all of this being said, she had no plan or intention of going away from this long period of time. Family also added that she had recently been dealing with a rotator cuff surgery and it impacted her ability to work as a nurse in a Tampa area right around the time that she took this vacation. Paula Del Mundo had a connecting flight at the Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport and family were surprised when they received a frantic call and text around the time of her landing to the DFW, also known as Dallas-Fort Worth International. Paula called her sister-in-law, saying that she could not find her terminal, and later texted her sister Lolita, saying that she no longer wanted to go to Mexico. She wanted her sister to purchase a return ticket to get her home immediately. Lolita said that Paula sounded depressed and confused, in short, almost like disorientated and possibly that her medication from the recent surgery might have affected her ability to focus and to reason and to get confused easily, especially in the Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport. I do live in Texas and I have taken the DFW International Airport a few times. It is crazy and busy and one of the largest airports in the state. So the DFW has a total area of 17 acres, making it the largest airport in Texas and the second largest in the United States. It is the third busiest airport in the world by aircraft movements, the ninth busiest airport in the world by passenger traffic, the 10th busiest international gateway in the United States, and the second busiest in Texas. So DFW is located in the cities of Irving, Eulis, Grapevine, and Koppel. This airport is so huge. It has its own post office zip code and United States Postal Service city designation. It has its own police, its fire protection, and emergency medical services. Yeah, it's that big, y'all. And when they say everything's bigger in Texas, that ain't a joke. So I completely understand how someone can get turned around easily at the DFW International Airport, especially if they're not familiar with the layout. So the pain medication from the recent surgery she had to fix for the rotator cuff injury um, has been causing her a lot of pain and it was affecting her ability to do just the bare minimum of focusing and 
rational decision-making. And one of the warning signs that Lolita knew that there was something completely wrong with Paula is that she had requested to come back home after she had scheduled this vacation to Cozumel, Mexico for months. So Lolita arranged a flight home for Paula like she requested. But when she tried calling her later to give her the details on the flight, Paula did not answer. And at some point, her phone had died. And Paula then tried the airport page. However, that, too, she did not answer. Paula never boarded her flight to Mexico, nor did she make it to Mexico or any other way. At the very least, never checked into that hotel and she never boarded the flight. Yolanda, Paula's sister, said, quote, And the thought that she was lost in Texas than in any other state was already terrifying for us to take. She was supposed to be only passing through in transit. DFW Airport was only her jump-off point to Mexico, end quote. So based on a few articles I tried to gather, it looks as if Paula Del Mundo was currently at Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport around 3 p.m. the afternoon, September 14, 2019. So by 10.30 p.m., according to information sent to the Dallas Voice by Yolanda Del Mundo, there was a video footage from camera at the airport that did offer some clues. The video showed that Pauline left Terminal C around 10.30 p.m., walking up to the International Parkway away from the airport and toward the South Service Road. Like I mentioned, the DFW International Airport is huge. And to try to walk around outside of the airport on its grounds, there is not much of a safe areas to walk so I can visualize her walking two and a half miles up this international parkway away from the airport and then toward the South Service Road. The South Service Road has a large amount of construction and that is pretty much a warehouse area. So between the time of 10.30 p.m. and 1.48 a.m., you don't get to see her at any of the surveillance cameras. There's no CCTVs that had identified where she was between those times. On footage at 1.48 a.m. the following day, September 15, 2019, you can see Paula walking the South Service Road. Coming south, she walked by a valet gate. Seen on the footage, going towards a warehouse district, she walks across the street from the warehouse and sits on a curve on the south end of the official warehouse district off the intersection of South 20th Avenue and South Airfield. So now here is Paula sitting on this curb for about two hours. So by 3.52 a.m. September 15th, she abruptly stands up, walks away, goes around the corner heading east, east right around this area is the DFW airport sign. And in the footage, you can see that this sign has obstructed our view to see her 
At this time, she was last seen by the Crestron Hotline Delivery Systems. I will identify the actual location in the show notes. So if we review this again, this actual location and its intersection is surrounded, like I mentioned, construction, warehouses, ditches, swampy area, wooded bush area, ravines. This is very hard to do any type of searching, especially when you have a small amount of people doing that search. But nonetheless, it is not impossible. So what has the family done in this search? Now, as I mentioned earlier, her family did try to get a hold of her regarding her return flight to Tampa, and they couldn't reach her. She never boarded the flight. And now this obviously caused a lot of worry for Paula's family. They decided to take action immediately and filed a police report, putting Paula on the National Missing and Unidentified Person Systems, or NamUs, to give law enforcement at least some lead and information. In some of the articles, as well as some of the missing reports, they've misgendered or dead-named Paula Del Mundo. The only time that this would be relevant is because Paula, even though she was full transitioned, she had not legally changed her name. So on her passport or our ID, we'll have her birth name, which is Paulino Norberto Del Mundo Japor Jr. She is listed like this through the Charlie Project, as well as NamUs. Yolanda and her sisters announced the tragic news on Facebook. And from that moment on, their walls have become a streaming repository of police updates. Photos, people to contact, news reports, messages of encouragement and support of all sorts of questions which they had painstakingly answered. Lolita also filed a report at the Tampa Hillsboro County where Paula was a resident of the area. On September 20th, Lolita and Yolanda decided to go to the DFW and do their own search and contacted the airport authorities. The DFW Airport Public Safety was the first to investigate and confirmed that the last clothing worn by Paula was on footage. And during Lolita and Yolanda's stay here in DFW, they were able to have contact and media interviews with the local LGBTQ community. Also during this time, FBI agents from the Dallas field office combined their search efforts with canines, but they were not able to pick up any trace of Paula. Investigators also checked bus routes and other rideshare services. Paula was on the edge of the airport property, and if the last footage was identified that she was in that area by the warehouses. There would at least be some information or footage of her being picked up. But the last footage that we see is her walking behind the DFW signage and disappearing. Her family worries that she may have been a victim of a hate crime, either because she was transgender or a person of color, or most likely both. And in fact, Dallas, Texas has one of the most alarming numbers of hate crimes against trans women, specifically 
there was a shooting that actually took place just days after Paula went missing and eight other murders of trans women. However, due to the rising cases of the COVID-19 in Texas during the time of their search, their trip was actually canceled. The family hired a private investigator to continue their search. As months went by, there was no progress, and the family decided to call it off. Later, they found out that they were being scammed and demanded to have their money back from this fraudulent investigation services. Whoever that is, is a piece of shit. In my opinion, they should take a long walk off a short pier for doing this towards a family of grieving, a family of looking for their lost loved one. Unbelievable. Fortunately, there was a turn up for the better. A nonprofit volunteering organization called the Community United Effort Center for Missing Persons, also known as Q, began their intensive search on July 25th to the 26th of 2020. Funds were donated for the search, and it assigned a 12-man search team. They used various search gadgets and had canine dogs, motorized boats, and drones. The youngest sister, Lolita, was able to fly out to Texas and meet the group. However, there was no traces or remains found. The search was to continue as a follow-up scheduled for October of 2020. Another group called the Malaya Movement. They were assigned a caseworker, Kaiti Leward, who was able to track down the exact spot where Paula was last seen. The Malaya Movement, which is a human rights activist group in Texas, with the help of a Phil M. Sarah Jalandun, who helped provide memorial landmarks with plastic flowers and a laminated missing person poster where Paula was last spotted by an airport surveillance camera. From a recent Google Maps view of February 2022, you can still see the memorial around the pole where Paula was last seen. Okay, so here are the questions that I have gotten, either through reading articles and resources, as well as my own opinions. What could have happened? And one of the things that CCTV footage caught, while Paula was aimlessly walking through the huge DFW airport premises, there was a point where she had a yellow nautical bag with her. Earlier that day, there's a point where she just walked away from her bag. She still had luggage, I believe, on her next flight to Cozumel, Mexico. But as you would see the security footage, she walks out of the terminal and outside of DFW's International Airport with no nautical bag, but she did have her wallet with her. So what happened to that bag? In 2019, I know for sure that the TSA and security was pretty tight specifically for leaving unattended bags in one of the largest international airports. So where is it? No one was able to find it, which is a little strange to me. Another question is, maybe she just walked away on her own accord. What if Paula wanted to take some time away from her stressful life, knowing that she just got done with 
a rotator cuff surgery. She's taking pain medication. She was extremely concerned about her employment status because of the injury, because of the surgery, that she might not be able to bounce back. Maybe she just wanted to walk away from it all. And during this time, Paula's family is completely puzzled and disturbed by their sister's disappearance. And one of the things that really boggles my mind is a family of a missing person. The first thing that they would do, amongst everything else, is follow through with contacting hospitals and other facilities, possibly the morgue, which would be extremely hard to do. But it, it's one of the things that families have to go through, the process of looking for their lost loved one. Maybe she was possibly hospitalized, or is she in a psychiatric facility, and a family can't find her because of HIPAA laws. In a stipulation to HIPAA, when it comes to law enforcement or missing persons, family of lost loved ones are not permitted to reach out to hospitals. They would have to go through law enforcement. And there's a list of things that it identifies under specific conditions that is required by law, including court orders, court order warrants, subpoenas, and administrative requests to identify or locate a suspect, a fugitive, a material witness, or a missing person. So I would assume that if law enforcement were reaching out, they would have a better chance of confirming whether or not Paula was hospitalized or in a psychiatric facility. I'm wondering if the family is aware that there is that loophole in the situation, that if them themselves reach out, they will not have the ability whether or not Paula is in any of the hospitals or psychiatric facilities. Another question is, was she taking advantage of? Paula being a transgender woman, she is fully transitioned, so she could not pass as a man. And even though it would be hard to identify her outside of being a woman, possibly a suspect or a person of interest would find any other way through her identification that her name and her gender does not match. And I'm concerned that that might have put her in a very uncomfortable and risky situation. Now, there has been a, a handful of people who went missing. One trans woman particularly, she went missing in March 24th, 2022, from North Bay Village, Florida. Six days after she went missing, she was found in Texas, March 30th, 2022. Another person was reported missing. She went missing on December 7th, 2019. She herself was actually in the DFW International Airport, also on a layover in Dallas, flying to see her family in Washington, D.C., and she was found two days later in Texas. So there is a possibility that Paula is out there. The other question is, what type of medication was she taking? Her family identified that she had a rotator cuff surgery a while ago. It might have been some pain medication. Knowing that there is some types of medications that can affect at high altitudes um, that could provide side effects if they're mixed with sleeping pills or based on some resources on researching on medication in high altitude, specifically dealing with sleeping pills. Some particular sleeping pills induce memory lapse person has no memory for the next several hours. 
As such, I wonder if something similar could have happened to Paula. Given the effects of certain meds, it would have been easy for her to wander off or fall prey to someone with not-so-good intentions. This could be a really interesting theory. Another question is, what if she is found, but because of DNA, she is misgendered by her identity? Maybe she is mislabeled as an unidentified male. One place I would love to refer any and all who have a missing or lost loved one that falls under transgender or gender non-conforming to reach out to the Trans Doe Task Force. They are a non-profit organization. They currently find individuals that might have slipped through the cracks and have a chance to identify them with the latest advances in forensic science and technology. They research cases of the LGBTQ+, missing and murdered persons, and especially focus on identifying individuals who may have been transgender. They also assist law enforcement departments, medical examiners, forensic anthropologists, and forensic genetic genealogists that are there to translate a forensic team that has a database that's called LAMMP, or LAMP, which stands for LGBTQ+, Accountability for Missing and Murdered Persons. Now, this database provides missing and murdered in the unclaimed LGBTQ plus people and is created for and to serve the community. It helps attempt to match any un unidentified persons or missing persons cases throughout the United States, and I believe that they're extending their database to Canada as well. I will also provide this in the show notes. One of the things that I I've come across in a lot of other episodes, and this is something that a lot of families of missing and lost loved ones have come up against. When to report your missing. It is extremely crucial to begin investigation within 72 hours. And based on an ABC News article, it is imperative to start the investigation as quickly as possible. It protects the integrity of the evidence. When a law enforcement has fresh memory, fresh leads, they're able to get as much information from witnesses in identifying the last whereabouts of the lost missing loved one. The victim could be in a grave danger, um, possibly involved in human trafficking or any other dangerous situations. Investigators have a procedure to determine if the case is urgent once the police receives the call on a missing person, they begin to evaluate whether it's urgent, crucial matter based on case-by-case -case situations. So the more information you give to law enforcement, the better. And one of the things that I wanted to also address is that, and I've noticed that there's a break in that trust between civilians, family members, and law enforcement. And this is directly to the law enforcement. When a family is coming to you, identifying that the missing person, their lost loved one, has a background of a runaway, if they're a high-risk lifestyle, I don't care if they're purple with polka dots and you just don't like polka dots. You are not there to judge based on what a person does, looks like, or has done. This is a lost loved one's missing person. Treat it as if it is your relative that's missing. Once you have that mindset, 
then you will put as much effort as possible to find that person. Next, media coverage makes a huge difference. Get that information out there. Like my mother said, the squeaky wheel gets the oil, which means getting the word out to public right now as much as you can in all the social media platforms that you can to get the recognition, to get the information out there, the quicker the missing person will be found and brought home. Social media plays a huge role in missing person cases. And unfortunately, there is a pros and cons in regards to that. Women receive nearly 12 times more media coverage on average than male victims. Unfortunately, there is a phenomenon called missing white women syndrome. White young female victims, often college co-eds or mothers, definitely get the most amount of attention, three times as much total media attention than a minority. However, I don't have the proper percentage on when it comes to dealing with someone who is from the LGBTQ community. Yet, in 2016 report, found that black trans women face the highest rate of violence making up 72% of all trans victims' attacks between 2010 and 2016. Although the FBI added gender identity as a category in its 2014 annual hate crimes report, gender identity is not tracked along with this other self-reported homicide statistics. So not even... <sighs> So not even that the FBI missing person website keeps tracks of transgenders or gender non-conforming persons that are currently missing, not to mention also that the majority of the transgenders are misgendered or dead named in their posters, which makes it harder for them to be identified. Lastly, it is not necessary to wait 24 to 48 hours before filing a report. When you file a report, you give the law enforcement as many detailed descriptions and information, physical appearance, their height, their weight, their age, identifying marks, tattoos, birthmarks, a clear photo of the missing person. Provide law enforcement details on the mental stability and the history if they are runaway, if they're a high-risk lifestyle. It does not matter. Law enforcement, moving forward, that shouldn't matter. So as a recap, Paula Del Mundo, born June 6, 1960, disappeared Dallas, Texas on September 15, 2019. She was 59 years old. Paula is a transgender woman. She is fully transitioned. She is recovering from a rotator cuff surgery. She is about 5'6", between 120 to 150 pounds, long brown hair and brown eyes. She is last seen wearing a white shirt and lavender-colored pants. She wears reading glasses, has a full set of dentures, and her ears are pierced twice in each ear. She has a tattoo on her right forearm of flowers, a hot dog-shaped birthmark on her side, and has had breast augmentation surgery, which was performed in Japan. She may be listed under her dead name, 
and also sometimes is listed as Pauline, but the family consistently calls her Paula. She is a naturalized American citizen, and there is no rule-outs listed on her name as profile as of November 15, 2020. If you see something, say something. Any information may help to bring Paula Del Mundo home. Please contact Dallas-Fort Worth Airport Police Sergeant Carl Ross at 972-973-3533 or the Hillsboro County Sheriff's Office at 813-247-8200 reference case number 19-671172. Yolanda says they have never lost hope. They never ceased in praying. They pray every day regularly with the Holy Rosary as a family, both in the U.S. and Manila, for your safe return. And they will continue to believe in one day the miracle will be bound to happen. Yolanda stated, quote, Every cloud has a silver lining. There is always light at the end of the tunnel. And as our family tirelessly pray whatever the consequences will be may justice be served for trans phil m like paula who only wish is to reach her american dream end quote all information identified in this episode will be in the show notes thank you for listening to hands off my podcast if you are enjoying the podcast and you'd like to support the mission, I do have a Patreon membership that will help the cause and bring more detail on cases and stories from the people of color community. If you yourself has a lost loved one or a story suggestion, please don't hesitate to contact me at email. Handsoffmypodcast at gmail.com And if you are only able to support in another way, Please give this podcast a 5-star rating on Apple or Spotify and continue to listen to upcoming episodes every Thursday wherever you listen to your podcast. Dios te bendiga.